Welcome back to the Department of Writing's Nonfiction Podcast. I'm David Leach, a professor of creative nonfiction in the department. And I'm Deborah Campbell. I'm also a professor of nonfiction in the department. So, Deborah, last episode, we talked a lot about pre writing, all of the kind of research and thinking and messing about you do before really kind of digging into a first draft. Well, now we have to talk about writing and and it's my least favorite part of the writing process, actually writing one bad sentence after another from beginning to end. How do you get through the painful process of creating a first draft? Right. And without being bitter towards those writers who just whip off their first draft and, uh, you know, seem to publish a book a year. There are people like that, but I hate them. I don't like them. No, I don't either. Um, One of my favorite uh, quotes on writing is by the the German author Thomas Mann, who said, um, writers are people for whom writing is more difficult than for other people. So, <laughs> true. I, and is that just because we're kind of self-aware or we have high standards or we kind of immediately see the flaws in every kind of word we choose and every kind of sentence that we put together? I think so. I think also there's an awareness of audience after you've written for a little bit. I mean, it's those beautiful moments when writing falls from the sky that we we appreciate. And often that's how we became writers when we wrote that first poem in grade nine that just arrived and it arrived fully formed like a miracle. Uh, and we want that to be the case all the time. Uh, it's not. Uh, if you... Uh, if you are a really good person, uh, if you've done everything right in your life, maybe once or twice you will have a long piece of writing just fall from the sky. It does happen, um, but it's extremely rare and it's really dangerous to get addicted to that and assume that that's how writing is going to be because it's not like that. Um, And I will give you uh, a personal example of this from my own life. We talked a little bit about my first book, This Heated Place, uh, which uh, is about the Israel-Palestine conflict, a sort of literary exploration of that conflict. Now, that book took me three months to write. Uh, I know. I know, I know you don't like me now, David. <laughs> That's the sound of me hitting I my thought... office floor and slowly pulling myself back up again. Uh, you thought we were friends and now we can't be friends. <laughs> You're one of those writers. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I, I did three months of field work. Um, it was built on a year and a half previous to that, having lived and studied in Israel, Palestine. Um, and then three months of writing, I kind of wrote while I was um, doing the research. So I would, you know, go and do some field, field work was a term we use to mean like just going somewhere and talking to people doing the field work. And then I would come back and I would write it up. And it was pretty much done. And okay, this was my first book. I did not know it was going to be published. Um, I was just writing it to write it and I just told myself and this is very good advice I'll give I'll give this out for free here Um, I told myself I'm just gonna write a really 
bad book. This was really helpful to me. I'm going to write a bad book because anyone can write a bad book. Anyone can write a bad book. Actually. A lot of them do. They, they, a lot of them do. And actually a good number of them get published as we know. Um, so I told myself that and it was really liberating. I didn't know what publication was like or what it would be like to have people read it and say, eh, or, oh, or not buy it at all, or I didn't know how publishing worked. And also then the anxiety that comes once you've published and once you've been publishing for a while of knowing um, what that audience uh, might expect, or especially if you do a good piece of work, then feeling like, oh, I'll never write like that again. And so I also did expect that writing after that would be like that, that it would fall from the sky. What I didn't understand, it often does happen um, with it, it sometimes in, in early career where um, you've been actually thinking about something for a long time before you write it, maybe years, maybe decades before you write it. And so the fact that it actually arrives on the page quite quickly is, um, is, is the product of all that unconscious pre-writing that you've been doing. Uh, beforehand and also you know you're you don't have that sensor sitting on your shoulder telling you what uh, you know what good writing necessarily looks like so you're free um, now it's the second book where you know you're very aware of your audience and also a second book like my second book uh, disappearance in damascus is a much more complicated book in some ways the the first book it was a literary journey so it was a i was the thread that pulled through the whole book and um and my second draft just to make you feel better david and not and not hate me um <laughs> took uh two years of field work really um and five years of writing oh that makes me feel a lot better i feel <laughs> better great. now <laughs> absolutely and actually i mean that does really echo my experience certainly uh with book writing and, and this is maybe the takeaway that students don't want to hear it gets harder it doesn't get easier I mean, and that the, the first free feature i wrote probably was one of the easiest and after that i became kind of more self-conscious my first book largely because it was what's described as a non-fiction novel i kept myself almost entirely out of it and was just recreating um an event a, a tragedy it's called fatal tide about an adventure race gone wrong from multiple points of view so once i had done the massive amount of pre-writing and interviews and and reconstructing what uh, happened both before and during the race and the fallout and, and legal aftermath it was it sort of wrote it itself I mean it was still kind of painful to kind of look back at some of the sentences that I wrote in that first draft but I managed to get uh, from beginning to end in a reasonably quick process nothing close to three months uh, and then I assumed well my next book which uh, like yours was about uh, Israel Palestine it's called Chasing Utopia uh, would be be much faster that I had this idea in mind. I had journals that I had kept uh, for 25 years that I could go back. I'd been kind of thinking about this topic for those 25 uh, years and it was just excruciating. And again, because, and this might touch in structure, but uh, I had almost 
probably 12 to 24 separate articles or storylines to try and work together and each one was was uh, painful to write uh, individually not knowing how they fit together not knowing whether one was uh, more worth it uh, than the other and then just that excruciating self-consciousness about one's own writing which I think is a part of any artistic process you have like this vision of what you want a book to be or an article to be or a poem to be or a sculpture and then you have those kind of tentative first drafts that don't look or sound anything uh, like what that kind of final idealized uh, vision uh, you have and then you imagine somebody else whether it's uh, a reader or your agent or a publisher kind of looking at this and going meh uh, even though you know after years of doing this that, that the final version will look a lot different. Uh, and I, I, I'm kind of curious, do you have kind of a process or maybe a practice is a better word for kind of getting you through those really kind of difficult uh, I don't know if it's days or hours. For me, it was weeks, even months. And with my last book, potentially years. I think it was closer to, as you were saying, kind of four years of just kind of slogging, uh, writing various first drafts to get you through that and the, the kind of emotional toil of, of um, writing first drafts. Yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, those dark moments of despair, um, and it uh, it can be really difficult to believe in something. Um, there's a couple of uh, uh, writers that have helped me in in that way. There's, Annie Dillard's a wonderful book called The Writing Life. It's a very short book. Um, and she talks about how um, the idea that your work is uh, wonderful or the idea that your work is terrible are completely unreliable um, barometers. Your feelings about your work are completely unreliable and they should just be batted away like mosquitoes. So if she's saying that, a great writer like Annie Dillard, she knows exactly how our feelings towards our work aren't really a good measure um, of whether it has merit or not. So that is one thing I think about is I, I'm a terrible, uh, uh, it, I'm a terrible judge of my own work. So uh, it depends on my mood of the day. Uh, and so I, I have to remember that. And the other thing I like to think about is it gets better. If you sit and work with something, I, 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 if I think about a disappearance in Damascus, I can't even tell you how many drafts are involved in it. Way more than 12, but let's say there's 12 or 18 drafts in there. If you look at my final draft, what was published, and a, a lot of critics and readers have said it reads effortlessly, and it just makes me laugh when they say that. Um, but it, if you look at the first draft, there are probably only about 2,000 words that are the same. It means that everything changed in it. However, if I look at that early first draft, the kernels were there. So the voice hadn't come, that came by itself over time. The structure hadn't come, but the kernels of the stories were there. I was on to something. Uh, 
I was on to something. I just, it hadn't shaped itself. So I had to give it the time to be bad in order for it to get good or good enough. Um, and that, that came with time and patience. Um, and that means sitting down every day. I think having a kind of structure in your writing life. So we're talking about the writing process from pre-writing through first draft through revision, but um, also process in your in your writing habits. Um, so just for me, needing to carve out say three hours a day in which I sat with it. And Annie Dillard says you sit with you sit with your writing draft like you're sitting with a dying patient. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> that is a beautiful metaphor that, that uh, I think that works for me. That's what it feels like sometimes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So so what about you? How did you work through the, you know, the darkness of the first draft, the difficulties? Um, that's a good question. I think eventually for me, I really have to work to uh, a deadline, whether it's a real deadline from a publisher or an editor or setting some arbitrary ones as well. Uh, and I really kind of respect in, in uh, writers who have a more disciplined practice. My, my wife is uh, a writer. She uh, writes mostly fiction now, but her training is as a newspaper reporter. So she had that kind of practice of like hammering out stories on short deadline. And she, um, she brings it to her own um, writing practice. She does a lot of uh, young adult novels and will just sit at the computer for two hours at the end of every day after she's exhausted from work and uh, chores and all of the other stuff. And I'm like, you know, surfing the web or watching Netflix. She'll get her two hours in the five 500 words or 800 words day after day after day after day and every year she's got uh, a manuscript at the end to kind of uh, begin re revising if not faster uh, than that and that is uh, a discipline that I haven't quite acquired if I've got the material and and I've got a, a book deal and I've got to get it in I can I can panic write and, and get through that process and get to rewriting which I absolutely love I love the process of uh, revision uh, and re rewriting but left to my own devices and that's maybe why I became a nonfiction writer and, and moved away from fiction because typically there's nobody snapping the whip for a fiction writer get that novel done get that novel done whereas with a non-fiction writer especially for a for a book or even a magazine you pitch an idea you've got a little bit of writing there you've got an outline I love doing the outlines you send it in and suddenly you have a contract somebody's giving you a little bit of money or the promise of money but also like a deadline that you've got to meet this if you want the, the rest of it and I work well to those kind of uh, deadlines but I absolutely have to have it and I'm, I'm massively kind of dis distractible as well. I've had to install an app on my computer that limits my social media time to I think 20 or 25 minutes and even then I kind of find ways of going around it because you know I have to hear what Trump's tweeted today or my life is not complete and that's just just time wasted so uh, yeah I'm not the best um, uh, best person to kind of prescribe uh, how to how to discipline yourself for these first drafts I am very much a, a student of that and, and admire people like uh, Bill Gaston who was a colleague of ours who we write a book a year just with that kind of discipline of, of sitting in down and getting through that first draft to get to the revision stage where you can make something cohere in, in a meaningful 
uh, way. Do you have any tips for me? I'm kind of sitting on the couch oh. here and in, just in the psychology of a good first draft, what should I be doing different? Well, I, I, I just wrote a, a book chapter um, for, a, a, for a volume. I'm just submitting a chapter and it was the most pleasurable writing experience I've had in a long time. And I think, uh, I think it was pleasurable because it didn't involve me. It was third person. I do think if you write about stuff that involves you in some way, it can be more difficult. Um, or if you're really close to the material, it can be difficult. So there's the, the, the part of the pleasure of writing this book chapter was also that I I, in my pre-writing, I drafted things really quickly and I didn't worry about how it would read or whether it would work. I just decided I've got, and I also had a deadline, <laughs> having a deadline, writing that first draft, knowing you can fix it later. Yeah. I think the, you know, getting rid of that sensor on your shoulder, which is a useful thing to bring in in the editing phase, having the perfectionist come in during the revision phase when you're fixing it, that's where they belong. They don't belong in the first draft. I mean, I, I, I'm speaking, of course, theoretically, because it's really hard to overcome our perfectionism and it's always going to be a struggle. But to the extent that we can say, it's okay if this is not very good, it's okay if it's bad. Um, we just need to get words on the page. So that psychologically can help. Uh, sometimes you can put a post-it note up that says, write your bad book. <laughs> and um, even challenge yourself to make it as bad as possible. Uh, and that, you know, it, it, it's liberating to think that way. And also, you know, one of the things uh, we do around my household is turn off the Wi-Fi at the router. Yeah, for, I think you've got to do that. Okay. Yeah, for um, several hours a day. And uh, so at least, you know, during your writing block, whatever block time it is, go to the writer, router, turn it off, or have your roommate, spouse, partner uh, do it for you so that, you know, it's out of your hands. And um, so you can't go on. So you, you will try to go on and you can't go on because there's no Wi-Fi. Um, if you can do that, great. Or go somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi and write there. Yeah, I've tried um, to do that. And I know a lot of other authors do that writing in a cafe without though most of them have Wi Fi. I find, I've actually found myself going back to kind of handwriting. I mean, always kind of journaling when you're uh, in the pre writing stage and, and even kind of sketching out scenes, uh, but just kind of sitting down and, and writing um, uh, in longhand, uh, even though, and I, I think it's liberating in some ways because my handwriting is so awful. Uh, it's deteriorated so badly since when I was uh, younger. Uh, that it doesn't matter, I, that, that I'm less self-conscious. I know this is a first draft because it looks like a first draft. And there's that sense when you're typing on the screen and you see it as though it were on a printed page that you become a bit more self-conscious uh, of it. And it's kind of embedded in all of these other things on your computer screen. So just kind of getting through that first draft and then kind of re when I retype it into the computer, it starts to feel a little bit more like revision, even though I'm just uh, transcribing it. 
a handwritten first draft. Takes a bit uh, longer, perhaps, but it's a, it's a much more pleasant process. I haven't yet tried that for a full book length, but even with both of my books, I was would be often kind of writing um, by hand um, key points and, and scenes that I'd been kind of thinking about and writing in my head first. So yeah, that, that, that for me um, helps me through the, the dark corners of that uh, first draft process. Yeah, and if you're really in a, a really dark space about it, as, as writers are prone to, to doing, I think it can be helpful to take a break. Yes. Um, go, go camping. Go uh, spend time out in nature. Go spend time with friends. Tell yourself, I'm going to take the week off. I'm just not going to write. It may be that that's what you need to write. Uh, sometimes I find doing something like that, suddenly I'll want to write because I'm not forcing myself. The, the, the writer inside of you doesn't want to be driven like a slave. And I think if you can kind of uh, take the pressure off yourself, um, take a break, get away from it, go do something fun for once, be nice to yourself. Um, uh, spend some time with people that you care about. Uh, I think that, or even have a hobby, have a low stakes hobby. I like photography, for example, and I found uh, early on in my writing career, I would, I would start taking photographs and I have no ego in my photography. I don't, I know that it's not that great, but sometimes I can take a great photo and because I have no ego, it's just fun. Um, and sometimes those photos were really helpful in selling an article because I had photos along along with them. And, uh, and I got to pay attention to the world around me without my writer brain always being on. So I find that that can be helpful. And I like sometimes reading uh, helpful books uh, by uh, writers like Annie Dillard's The Writing Life, just so that you know you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, getting up and moving around and getting out of that office, even if it's like a, a short walk, leave the iPhone and the headphones behind or a bike ride, especially uh, going for a swim. Again, things that you can kind of disconnect and let the mind wander. And often that first draft is kind of working through problems, whether it's the problems of your own self-doubt or where to kind of go next in a scene or, or uh, a section and, and letting the mind wander while the body Body's also kind of wandering separately often uh, liberates that. Uh, question for you, do you read other authors either related to your topic or authors that you admire during the first draft process? I often find myself kind of avoiding that because the kind of the shadows of great authors that you truly admire can feel especially long and daunting when you're trying to put sentences together. Uh, yeah, I know that uh, that a lot of writers feel that way. I actually really find it helpful sometimes to read great things while I'm writing my first draft. I often get ideas from them. Uh, so very often I will have a book that I love in front of me. And before I get started for the day, I'll read a few paragraphs of it. If I feel like there's something in it that is speaking to my approach. So they may be writing, well, obviously they would generally be writing about very different things, but I'll get an idea for, oh, you could start a paragraph in that surprising way. Or um, I, yeah, I actually read a lot while I'm writing my first draft and look for, uh, what it, who, who is it that said, uh, good writers borrow, great writers steal? 
<laughs> T.S. Eliot, maybe. Um, <laughs> I like to steal their um, their approach to starting a scene or the way that they used a trick of voice to disorient me as a write as a reader and just try it on. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not talking about plagiarism here. I'm talking about um, trying to bring something of a surprise to my writing. And if I can't get the gears shifting on my own, sometimes um, the surprise of reading another, like another writer whom I admire uh, can, can help. And it can also make you go, oh, I can't write like this. So then you just should read something that's really, really terribly written book, and then you can feel better. <laughs> I often find myself reading fiction more at that stage, and perhaps almost to, uh, as a palate cleanser after having read so much nonfiction, uh, and a lot of it kind of informational and research in the pre writing stage, but also writing reading often very good books uh, on the topic and then shifting over to a fiction, uh, which maybe makes me feel a little less th uh, threatened but there is that kind of inspiration to kind of borrow or steal or be inspired by fiction techniques which uh, I think are, are so essential to uh, exciting uh, nonfiction and and Philip Lopate talks about the essays need to flow interesting and and trying to open up that flow at the uh, the uh, first draft stage is important ultimately it, it happens in in the revision but I feel happiest and there are don't get me wrong there are kind of moments where it, it does feel like I'm playing the piano well or something at, at the keyboard where where a scene is coming together or there's uh, little details that I collected during pre-writing and I'm able to kind of drop them in and they lead one to the other and it's like ah oh, this is this is feeling uh, good so I, uh, I I kind of hold on to uh, those moments and but thinking about that the way that uh, good fiction kind of flows um, is is important for me at this stage. Yeah, I, I, I agree. When I'm talking about stealing, it's exactly that, stealing those fiction techniques. One of the books that I read when I was writing A Disappearance in Damascus, it was a, a kind of a thriller by uh, the English writer William Boyd. And um, it's, uh, I think it's called Ordinary Thunderstorms. And what it gave me permission to do was uh, to heighten tension by showing uh, the small details of what was happening when I was um, essentially after my friend had been arrested in Syria and I was looking for her, which is at the center of, of this book, um, I started to get uh, really paranoid about being um, sort of hunted by the Syrian secret police because it was a very dangerous time. And so I was, uh, in my early early writing wasn't you know certain about how to convey that experience and by reading William Boyd's novel which is about a, uh, a guy who has to go underground after he stumbles upon a murder that he knows will be pinned on him uh, a situation that in a weird way I could relate to in real life but he slows down in the moment to mm. describe the guy's day-to-day uh, what he does to go underground, where he's living, what happens. And I, by reading that was like, oh, I can do that too. And it's not boring. It's actually interesting. And so sometimes reading novels, because 
uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of creative nonfiction actually is kind of similar in what it's um, doing narratively to um, to to fiction. So a lot of the nonfiction that we write, creative nonfiction, um, and can can borrow those techniques. And but of course, what you're writing about happened in real life. So yeah, so I found I found that kind of thing helpful. And I, of course, am not going to compare myself to a fiction writer because I'm doing something very different. Um, so it didn't make me feel like I couldn't do this. It sort of made me feel like here's a way that I can do this in nonfiction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when I get most uh, excited with the first drafts when you can be kind of creating um, these scenes and you've got dialogue and those characters that uh, interested you so much at the very beginning of the pre-writing process are starting to emerge from the page. And I think now that you've gotten me thinking about it, that where I kind of stumble is often that that really non-fiction-y part of writing creative non-fiction. I love the, the creative part in the game. Maybe that's kind of my early background studying uh, English literature and studying fiction. But it's, um, I, I think it might have been Kevin Corrine and Ben Yugoda sort of talking about the art of making facts dance when you've got this like ton of research that you've done and you start to write it and you realize, oh, this sounds a bit kind of leaden, sounds a bit academic. Am I just kind of dropping quotes in? How do you kind of enliven that? Even though, as you say, most of that's going to get cut away and distilled and just be the tip of the iceberg at the end. I mean, it's nice to have all that material and as you're kind of adding it um, uh, into a nonfiction uh, narrative, you've got these bits and pieces, but making those kind of facts come alive can be uh, challenging. And, and again, that might be for the revision process. So maybe, I don't mm. know if it's the last question, do, do you, are you revising? as you write that first draft kind of going back and or do you have to get that first draft done in toto before you go back and really start kind of mucking around with the the details or moving uh stuff around i i wish i would it was able to do what i think is um sort of in my ideal world uh how i would write which is to just write down that first draft as fast as you can and i strongly recommend this to all writers try to write it as fast as you can. What I do though, is I do, I kind of think on the page while I'm writing. So I do move sentences around, words around, I change my word choice, I, I approach a sentence differently. Um, so that does take me a little bit longer, but what, what's dangerous is to over polish, I think. If you start over polishing and making perfect, uh, when you're in first draft, it can sort of make something so solid and hard that later on you don't want to cut it or you can't move it almost. It loses its fluid fluidity. Oh, that, so, make, that makes good sense as well. I, I, I feel the same way. Like it's been kind of preached to me that I should get that first draft down quickly and I can't uh, do it. Uh, yet at the same time, I think it helps me to do at least some revisions during that first draft process just for my confidence. And I find that if I don't have a, a strong lead, a strong kind of opening paragraph or, or a couple of uh, pages, even if it gets cut or moved in the final process, um, I'm not comfortable. I, I want something that I'm able to kind of go back and feel like the propulsive force of the whole story kind of kicking off, even if it kind of gets bogged down 
uh, in in some of the other first draft writing. So I will kind of tinker with that lead forever. It's often the first thing I write and the last thing I, I finish writing. And I think I might get that a bit from uh, Jack Hodgins, who was a really influential uh, uh, teacher. And he talked about in one of his novels, I can't remember, if it was the resurrection of Joseph Byrne or the invention of the world, how he, he wrote the opening page like 17 or 18 times, just redrafting and redrafting it until it was it felt just right. Uh, and I agree that can be a danger if you apply it throughout that whole first draft. For, but for me, I've got to get that that opening uh, right if, uh, to give it that foundation uh, on which to, to build the, that sloppy first draft. Right, and I, I usually have a, uh, at least a part of a first draft that I feel is working, uh, is capturing the momentum or the voice that I'm looking for or has some spark to it. And I'll often read that over before I continue with my writing for the day, just to try and get back into that headspace of what I want to capture for the, the entire draft. Um, so, and if it's a shorter piece, by shorter, I mean even up to 5,000 words, I might start the day by reading from the beginning again and try and get into the rhythm of, of what I'm doing, what I'm doing there. Um, that said, all of it may end up on the cutting room floor, which we'll discuss uh, in another episode of Revision. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop. I was going to actually ask if you have a particular place where you stop in the middle of your uh, drafting day. I know some authors like to actually stop in the middle of a scene rather than kind of write the complete scene. So when they go back to the next uh, morning, they, they've, they've got kind of a natural place to begin and begin that flow. But this could be a good place for us to stop because we're ah, through the, the turmoil of the first draft and into that, that exciting open expense that is also very challenging of revision and I know that is an area that young writers and, and old writers can, can uh, uh, struggle with but it's a, a, an area that I feel I'm on more solid ground. Yes it's always nice to have something on the page. Absolutely well thanks again Deborah, and I look forward to uh, exploring more in the writing and rewriting process. Excellent.